Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 111. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we're going back to Halloween Town. No. Yes! We're going back. We're going back, Jack. I don't suppose Jack Skellington will be here. No. That's where my head goes whenever we say Halloween Town. I get all excited because Nightmare Before Christmas is the OG Halloween Town. Yeah. And that's where it should have stayed. Well, we're going back. And then we're done. Then we're leaving. (laughs) And I never have to watch these movies again. You know... They do an awful lot of remakes and reboots on Disney+. Stop, stop, please. Not that I'm saying that there is a rumored reboot, but it will happen someday. If there is like a six-part series that happens, I will actually cry. (laughs) Uh, So if there are any screenwriters out there, (laughs) monorealradio at gmail.com. So this is the fourth movie in the Halloween Town series, and wasn't really supposed to exist. Nope. No, it um, wasn't. <laughs> the, the third movie, Halloween Town High, was supposed to be the epic conclusion of Halloween Town. And then they rolled with this one. And there were some things that were different that caused a lot of controversy. And we'll talk about those in just a minute. Because first I'm going to give you the plot for return to Halloween Town. Nobody other than me and the dog can see the look on your face. I was gonna say, you're looking at me like I have something to say. And honestly, it's nothing positive, so I'm not going to contribute right now. Spoiler. <laughs> you spoiled your review. Much to Gwen's dismay, Marnie has gotten a scholarship to which university and will be attending college in Halloween Town. Unbeknownst to Marnie, Gwen only allows her to go because Dylan has also enrolled in Witch U and will keep an eye on Marnie. Marnie learns that magic is forbidden at Witch U, but that the Sinister Sisters, not sinister as in, I'm not describing them, they are the Sinister Sisters, They perform magic constantly without any punishment from Dr. Grog, their professor, or Chancellor Goodwin, who is in charge of the university. Marnie learns that since she opened the portal, most students from Halloween Town began going to college in the human realm, so Witch U was no longer exclusive to witches and warlocks, which it was when it had first opened, and that is why magic is now forbidden. While in a dungeon with some other students as well as her professors, a box inscribed with S. Cromwell magically flies into Marnie's hands, but it is locked and she does not have the key. Confused, Marnie asks Professor Periwinkle for help, but all she can tell her is that S. stands for Splendora and that they were very good friends. Marnie and Dylan start doing research and learn that the box contains a gift a power that can only be used by a Cromwell. Dylan develops a crush on the Sinister Sisters, all three of them, and begins to do all of their schoolwork for them. Ethan, who we know from Halloween Town High, um, is here as well and has been reunited with Marnie and develops a romantic interest in her. And he tells Marnie that a group called the Dominion will attempt 
to get her to open the box and use its powers for their own gain. But she is reluctant to believe him, especially after the events of the third film. Well, it turns out that he was right, and Silas Sinister, the father of the Sinister Sisters, as well as Grog and Goodwin, make up the Dominion and intend on manipulating Marnie into using her gift to fulfill their prophecy and take over Halloween Town. In an attempt to get answers, Marnie travels back in time, like you do, to ask Splendora about the power, and she learns that the power is contained in an amulet, and it gives whoever is wearing said amulet the power to control anyone, which is strictly forbidden. We also learn that it is Splendora's coronation day, and that she is in fact Aggie. Yes. It's, it's Marnie's grandmother. It's her coronation day. She is going to be crowned the Queen of Halloween Town. Marnie returns to present day with the key to the box, but the gift, the amulet, is stolen by Goodwin. The Sinister Sisters turn Dylan into a dog to use him as leverage against Marnie and force her to use the gift to help the Dominion take over Halloween Town because spells cast in Halloween Town that are not reversed by the stroke of midnight on Halloween become permanent. Of course. As they do. And if Marnie does not agree, then Dylan will be a dog forever. Well, Marnie lies when she agrees to help them. And once she convinces them to transform Dylan back to human form, she and uh, her friend Anissa, who is a genie, trap the gift in Anissa's lamp. Marnie, Dylan, Anissa... And Gwen, who has recently returned from the mortal realm, destroy the lamp along with the gift. Periwinkle reveals herself as an undercover agent for the Anti-Dominion League, imprisons Sinister Grog and Goodwin inside of a witch's glass, and strips the Sinister Sisters of their powers. We learn that Ethan had given up his powers willingly following his father's arrest at the end of the first movie, and he and Marnie leave on a date. The film ends with Dylan discovering that Marnie did not destroy the amulet, and instead she left it with him because he is the only person whom she trusts, and because she did that with a spell before the stroke of midnight on Halloween, it cannot be undone. Let's address the Marnie in the room. Because this seems to be the most controversial thing about this film. Marnie had been played in the first three movies by Kimberly J. Brown, who I think did a splendid job. Despite my feelings on these movies, there is nothing against the actress or the way that she played the character. Totally endearing, a lot of fun. They went ahead and recast her with Sarah Paxton. And this caused quite a stir because, I mean, listen, this film, the franchise, really does have a cult following. And there were a lot of rumors for a long time as to what exactly happened. And we, do, we still, to this day, do not know. I would love to believe that Kimberly J. Brown saw this script, said it's garbage, and moved on with her life. Well, supposedly, 
the early rumor was that she was involved in another film and they had conflicting schedules to which Disney could not accommodate because they had to get the film done. But a couple of years ago, in a series of interviews, she denied that. She said her calendar was clear, she wanted to do it, and they recast her with no explanation and that she was disappointed. I do wonder if they wanted someone if they wanted her to be more mature looking because she's entering college because that's the thing like Kimberly J Brown is adorable and even though she was getting older and growing up she might have still looked too childish to play college a little bit of a baby uh, baby face yeah exactly but i think that's kind of a silly reason to recast her because she's close in age to to Marnie and people play a different age all the time. Like why not just, you know, being that it, it was franchised at that point, why not just stick with her? Yeah. Th- there's no explanation as to why they did it to this day. Obviously we're never going to get an explanation. We'll talk about Sarah Paxton later on who was cast in the role, but I did want to get that out of the way early because in terms of Halloween town controversy, this is the biggest thing out there right now. Well, now that that's out of the way, you're joking about me spoiling my review. I mean, I think my feelings on these movies have been quite clear through the first three. But looking through my notes here as you're going over the plot, I would say 40% of them are observations and 60% of them are questions. So this is not going to go well. All right. I have my first note as a question as well. Okay, so let, let's, let's dial it all the way back to the beginning here. Where did this university come from? Yeah. Okay, this is my first question. Where did it come from? Because this is now, this is the third movie that actually takes place in Halloween Town of the four. The third movie in the franchise takes place in the human realm. So now we've got a third version of the town which looks more like the version from the first movie, but not quite, and totally different from the version in the second movie that doesn't look anything like anything we have seen in terms of Halloween Town on a map or an illustration or what have you. But this university on the map that they show you at the beginning of the movie... By Lake Erie. By Lake Erie is set almost right behind Town Hall and the big jack-o'-lantern. Where did this come from? Why have we not heard of it? Why have we not seen it before? I don't know where it comes from. Right. Part of what baffles me to this day is that in the second and third films, you know, you're building upon this franchise, but so little of them actually took place in the town and you really get farther and farther away from the first film. So now we're back and it completely undoes everything from the first film on top of everything else. Because this whole time Marnie was supposed to finish high school and then train with her grandmother for a year. And I was really hoping that even though they changed the actress, they were going to follow through on that one thing. And Not only is Marnie not training with her, Sophie is instead, and we've got this college that comes out of nowhere. Yeah. The other thing 
that it violates from the first film is that it's called Witch University. But any kind of magical creature is allowed in. Okay, fine. Taking a page out of Harry Potter's book, I guess. But what really doesn't make sense to me is that Halloween Town was this hidden world. And it was a normal world just hiding in plain sight. Right. And they had normal jobs. And we got to see all of that play out in the first one when they go to the barber, when they go to the dentist. So why is there a specialized witch school? Why isn't it just college? Yeah. A lot of that is negated. The, the, the premise of a college is negated when they're supposed to go through a formal training. Because it's right. not just Marnie. It's supposed to be all of them. So now, basically, you don't have to do the training anymore if you go to college. Right. But the other thing that bothers me, too, is that not everybody has magic. So I thought that's why she was supposed to have her special training. Right, because she already possessed the power. Exactly. This should just be like college, period, end of story. And maybe that that could have taken the whole film down a different path, is that Marnie decided that she didn't want to study with her grandmother right. and wanted to go to college but go to college in Halloween Town, which also would have elevated this conflict with Gwen that is still going on to this day. Yeah, and that within itself is getting played out too. They started talking about prophecies in the beginning because there's a voiceover that starts the film, and I was like, I don't know where this prophecy came from. I don't know what it's about, but I'm in. The way you got excited about the voiceover in the third movie and you thought, okay, Happy, happy Halloween, Silver Shamrock, here we go. I thought the same thing, and... Massive letdown, just like everything else. In this case, yes. Um, I think of the three films, and I ranked them 1-3-2 in terms of the original trilogy. I think this is the one that is guilty the most of building something up and not paying it off. Right, especially now that we know Sophie is training with her grandmother. We and hear she's about gone it. all together yeah, now. She's gone all together. We don't see her at all. We barely see Aggie in this film. And they really don't do anything with that storyline. There's a throwaway line to cover why the characters aren't there, but it goes nowhere. Right, because they had to get Debbie Reynolds in, cameo. They probably shot with her for about two hours, and that's all they had her for, because she's in and out very quickly. I really do hate to say this because Debbie Reynolds is what keeps me coming back for these movies and I love her, but I could have also lived in a world where they killed Aggie off and Marnie decides to go to college because she needs to find her own way now without her grandmother's guidance. It would have made a much better story. Yeah, especially because they do dive into the Cromwell history, which we'll get to when we come to that part of the plot but because they make it about the family and learning her roots I feel like it would have been much more interesting if it was a story of her self-discovery yeah um I don't want to jump too far ahead right but I think that's probably my biggest issue with the film in total um but let's dial back to you know Sophie's gone and you know, Marnie, and this, we kind of said this in the third movie when we reviewed it, 
it never sat well with me that Sophie was allowed to go off with Aggie. Right. Marnie was never allowed to go. And you could sit there and say, well, Gwen had a character arc and she's softening her stance, except everything else that she does is to the contrary. In this case, it really doesn't make any sense that Sophie is traveling through different dimensions and galaxies with Aggie and, God forbid, Marnie go to college in Halloween Town through an open portal that Gwen can access at her leisure. That whole scene is a disaster because you have her arguing with Gwen and arguing with Dylan. You know, they're bickering. It's not like a bad argument. But everything that we need to know comes out when they open the soup pot and we get it from Aggie herself. So they set it all up and then repeat it. Yeah, they communicate through soup, through toilets, through bird baths, through water. And if you were going to bother with the sight gag, just give me the exposition there. You didn't need this whole setup and you certainly didn't need it to still be a point of contention that Gwen doesn't want her pursuing her powers but and it completely contradicts what's going on with Sophie. It just no sense. This this whole thing falls apart from the jump. Yeah, and it doesn't make sense either. Like I can understand why Gwen would be upset that Marnie would want to go to college in Halloween Town, but she gets so angry that she not only applied for but got a scholarship in Halloween Town. Most parents are thrilled when a student takes it upon themselves to apply for to apply for a scholarship, and Gwen loses her mind over it and says, I can't believe you would do this to me. And then goes and sends not one, but two of her children to college in Halloween town. The best part about this scene is that they got rid of the phony paint uh, frosted glass that was taped onto the (laughs) cabinets and it kept coming off in the third movie. I'm glad that they addressed that because this is also, have you noticed that in the first three, they lived in a different house house each time. This is the first one where they're still in the same house from film to film. Yeah. 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 Which. All right. I'm going to jump ahead for a minute here. Um, (laughs) Gwen has bought three homes. With what money does she pay for any of this? Because when she says, I'm an empty nester, I know how I can distract myself. I'll go get a job. She talks about it as if she has never done this before and gets a job as a realtor. I wonder if that's why she is so adverse to magic, because she said she never liked anything. Now, this is going back to the first one. She didn't like anything to just come easy to her. She wanted to work for it. Except she has never worked. So that money's got to be coming from somewhere. Mm -hmm. I think Gwen's using her powers. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. But we jump back into Halloween Town, as I mentioned. We got Benny back. Okay, cool. You know who doesn't come back? Luke! (laughs) I know. Luke doesn't come back. Instead, we get this other character who drools all over himself. Yeah, and uh, his name is Belch Slurp something or other. Click pop. uh, Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Um, No Luke. No Dandy. Cody. Okay, from from the third movie. Right. But anybody that listened to our review of the third movie knows I'm going to call him Dandy. From American Horror Story. Okay, so he's not here. Luke's not here. It's amazing to me how many characters they are able to write out of these films. 
And I think the most egregious one yeah. is Cal. What happened to Cal? They left a door wide open to bring him back in a sequel, and they didn't do it. That's actually a really good idea. And maybe Cal has since been reformed. Maybe he could have been the love interest. I mean, I get why they went with Lucas Gorbeil, just because he's got a fan following. People love him from High School Musical. Right. You know, I think Disney likes him. And he's he's a talented actor. Yeah. So I totally get that. But yeah, I think we could have delivered here on either the Cal romance or the Luke romance and brought them full circle. Right. And it never happens. But I mentioned before, this town square, more like the first, I really like. And then we see Silas Sinister's office. I think this is a really cool looking set. I think the one consistent that these films have had going for them the entire time is they knew how to make a really cool looking set. And that's what they are riding on in these films, because clearly... They're putting all the thought into the sets and not the story. I think the edge that this movie has over all of the films is that I think in terms of consistency from start to finish, these are the best sets we have seen in a full Halloween Town movie. I would agree with that. Even though the town is still different than the first one, I like when they did go on their date night that we got to see a little bit more of that. They went to the ice cream shop. So it it felt more in vain of how this entire thing started. Yeah. It was the it was the ice cream shop that Luke wanted to take Marnie to in the first movie. And she went there with another guy. Oh, snap. I didn't even realize that. That is cold, Marnie. That is cold. That is ice cream cold. And, um, you know, Dylan is still anti-magic. I mean, and I, here he is. And here skipping he is, a grade to go to college. Skipping a grade to go to college in Halloween Town. It's at this point in in the viewing of this film where I think Dylan is useless. Yep. He never grew. He never had a character arc. Certainly not one that stuck, which essentially renders him completely useless in this franchise. I see where they were trying to go as far as him fawning all over the Sinister Sisters, but as he relates to... The previous three films, yeah, the story was done. I would have preferred maybe even Sophie's living with Aggie and doing the training there, and maybe she's trying to dip in and out of college and she's cramping Marnie's style or whatever. Or this, I feel, would have been a more appropriate place for Aggie to be a teacher because that was... That was a big issue with the plot of the third film for us was that we just felt like Aggie, you know, the the sub thing sort of worked as she bounced from class to class because she was teaching all these different subjects. But her in the classroom setting just didn't make sense. Um, So I feel like they could have gotten away with it here, especially as it relates to them learning about their family. Right. And instead you get Professor Periwinkle, who's fine. um, But... The minute I see her on screen, and again, I'm jumping around a little bit here, but it 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 should be brought up. 
the, when I see her on screen for the first time, I think, well, they made her look exactly like Aggie. They made her act exactly like Aggie. Why isn't this? And then the film calls itself out on it. Yeah, that that must have been the entire pitch as well. We can't get Debbie Reynolds the entire time. So we need somebody that looks and acts like her to be that grandmother type of figure to Marnie. The whole magic not being allowed thing, it gets fleshed out eventually. Oh, God. Okay, it does get fleshed out eventually, but uh, it does not make... First off, it doesn't It doesn't make sense. No. It makes no sense that it's not allowed at all. I mean, I guess they had to give you a reason to dislike the Sinister Sisters, but you're going to dislike them anyway. Right. It just does not make sense at all. No, especially, I mean, they do sort of address it with the nonsense with Marnie not reading the handbook, but you bothered to apply to college and then got a scholarship and yet didn't know you couldn't use magic when the very thing that you're going to the school for is to harness your magical powers. Which you were supposed to do with your grandmother. So, see what I'm saying? Like, this, yeah, again, this is just such a slippery slope here that none of this really adds up. It just should have been college in Halloween Town. Pick a major. Right. And I have to wonder, too, as I'm watching everybody walk around the campus, where did all of these humans come from? Because, remember, the thing that made them the most out of place in the first movie was that they were humans. They looked like humans. Calabar looked like a human. He was a warlock. Aggie looked like a human. She was a witch. Everybody else was some sort of creature. I feel like here, these are not all witches and warlocks. We have a genie now. I don't really know why. Because now it just seems like you are finding fantastical things. And putting them in Halloween Town. Right. But a lot of them seem like they are still in human form. I don't know if it's because with a cast that big, because they were doing large crowds to make it look like a full college campus, that they could not do that much makeup or that they didn't have the money to do it. But the people attending this school, by and large, feel out of place to me. They do actually address it because that was something that stood out to me right away the first time we watched it. And then on our second viewing uh, in the cafeteria scene, she's talking to Anissa about it. And they say that Marnie is actually the reason now that everyone is allowed to be in. I think because she opened because the portal. Because she opened the portal, yes. And there was there was another reason that they gave, though, that they had to like balance it out and that's why it wasn't just witches attending the university that they were letting more and more people in um and that escapes me right now but i'm i'm sure it wasn't even that important to the plot i don't think so i think this movie definitely of of all of them and, and this the second movie um as i said on the show when we reviewed it a couple of weeks ago it plays out on screen better than it reads, but on paper it seems like a mess of a script. Th I mean, that doesn't even hold a candle to this yeah, for so many reasons. Like, Dylan moves in with Marnie with no luggage. He's got her two suitcases and nothing else. What is he moving in with? I, like, so much of this makes no sense at all. I think what makes the least sense to me 
is that Marnie and Dylan do not know that they have family heirlooms, apparently, hidden in the dungeons of the school. And there's an entire class dedicated to digging them up. And then they're not even allowed to keep them. See, here's the thing. This movie seems like it was going to start answering your biggest question, which was, why is, why is, quote unquote, Yora Cromwell so important? Right. And it seemed like they were going to finally flesh that out. Just like we don't know what happened to Gabby's dad in High School Musical. We're finally going to find out <laughs> what it means to be a Cromwell. And I'm going to put a pin in that for a minute because unlike High School Musical, and we still don't know where Gabby's dad is, we do figure out what being a Cromwell means. The question remains, does it make sense? Does it matter? And was it done right? But we're going to pin that for a second. Yeah. Okay. Spoiler alert, no, no, and no. This is where the movie feels the most dated to me. And I have said that I think, for the most part, the brilliance of these movies is that other than some of the music, some of the soundtrack choices that they make, the films don't feel dated. Specifically the first one, which at the time of this recording is 22 years old. Except for the computer in the second one. That, that not, well, it doesn't feel dated. It's just the wrong computer for the year that it was put out. Yeah. But other than that, the movies really don't feel dated. Here, though, I think it's because they use pop culture references. First off, the Sinister Sisters. The Sinister Sisters. It's Mean Girls. It's called what yeah. it is. It's Mean yeah. Girls. That's what you're trying to be. But more than anything, in the scene you're talking about, we have Grog, Professor Grog. And when we meet him for the first time, he gives the list of names that he will not be referred to as. And one of them is G-Unit. Awful. Awful. At the time, it was timely. Now it makes no sense. But at the time, it wasn't even funny. I could see if it was funny if you're 13 watching this on the Disney Channel. I understand why they put it in there. And then they pull the Spider-Man quote in the very beginning when she's talking to Gwen. With great power comes great responsibility. I don't know why they're making these obscene pop culture references. It, it doesn't make any sort of sense. The same way it doesn't make any sort of sense that you have entire wings and, and parts of buildings and dungeons dedicated to the Cromwells. And this all seems like it's news to Dylan and Marnie. Don't you think that we would have, A, known that this university existed, and B, knew that so much of it was rooted in the folklore that is the Cromwells, why is this the first time we are hearing about any of it? Again, this is where I think it would have made more sense to kill Aggie off. Because if she wouldn't have gotten to train Marnie, she wouldn't have been able to explain all of this to her. And then eventually, or you hope that Marnie would have figured it it out. It's not just the, the dungeon with the artifacts, though. 
there's an entire library yeah. dedicated to the family. Like how how did they not know? And I get that Gwen has tried to bury this, but the way that Aggie's been nudging information this entire time, really this never came up. But you would think that they would be treated as royalty every time they go into Halloween Town, and they never yes. are. So really, do you know what this is? This is not a franchise that was not fleshed out properly. This was a franchise that had a big question that it never answered. And in reality, did we really need to know what it meant to be a Cromwell? Not necessarily. I know it was a sticking point for you. You have here a completed trilogy. Whether it was completed properly or not is up for debate. You have a completed trilogy with a sequel that tries to answer questions and inadvertently makes the makes the first three movies that, for the most part, unproblematic, now problematic. And it just raises more questions. It raises more questions. And that's a big problem. I'll tell you what is not a big problem, though. In spite of the fact that it is a dated reference with the Mean Girls, I think... Of all of the characters that they got right in this movie, which is not much, let me just say. It's not many of them. I do think that as this movie plays on, they do get the Sinister Sisters right. Because you hate them at first. Maybe it's because they are extremely dislikable. They're bullies. They're bullies. It reminds you of Bean Girls. But after multiple viewings... And, and specifically, as the movie wears on, they make more and more and more sense. They're not wildly intelligent. They're just spoiled brats who have powers and do their father's bidding because he's ultimately just promising to take over Halloween Town. So they have their own uh, selfish rationale, their own selfish motivation to continue doing that. You know, it's not like they're just daddy's girls. They have an end game in sight as well. I actually think the three of them, even though they're following their father's lead, I think they are better villains than the Dominion as a whole. I would agree with that, and I think that's a fair point. That is kind of the MO with these movies, though, right? Is that there's always the mastermind and the puppet on the strings that's doing the actual dirty work. We saw it in the third one uh, with the knights and they were using the, um, they were using the, the Ethan teacher and Ethan and, well, Ethan and, Ethan and, and the, and the, uh, the principal. Yeah. To carry out what they wanted to do. And then even to an extent in the first two, even though it was spread out over two films, Cal and Calabar. Right. The thing is, there's the motivation never changes, which I think, I mean, that can be said for any superhero movie. There's always a villain that wants global domination. Right. And they have to be stopped. In this case, it's the same thing. There's always an individual or an organization that wants to take control of Halloween Town and tries to take it away from the Cromwells. No, and I'll I'll give you that too. Um, I like that they're the ones carrying it out, but I like that all the teachers are in on it. Not just um, their father, but the the headmistress. I who love this. Gave her the scholarship. 
I love this. I absolutely love the fact that they're all in on it the entire time. I like it for this film, but it's kind of like, really, Marnie? Did we learn nothing? Because she kind of got duped again. Yeah. I mean, and then when when Ethan goes to tell her the truth, she doesn't want to believe him. That's the one thing that we have seen with Marnie. That's the one consistency over every film is that she has shown questionable judgment with who she trusts and who she doesn't. Right. And that happens here again. Um, okay, let's let's move on here. I want to talk about the scene where they go into this Cromwell library. Okay. Okay. And Dylan does his speed reading. That's how we found out that he used magic to get through high school and skip a grade. That actually works for me. Works for me, works for the character. It's the Fine. Only, one of the few things that they have done with this character that actually works for this character. Yeah. But coming out of the library, I understand they're trying to keep it down and they're tr- because they don't want to be overheard. But the sound mixing Ugh. We can't hear them at all. And I don't think this has to do with Dylan is trying to keep his voice down because you can have a whisper like this and it's perfectly audible, but the audience knows that you're whispering so that you're not overheard. Right. And instead, I thought there was something wrong with the stream or with the television. No, it's a production error. It's because a big problem. I there there was like a mic out or something, and I think that whatever sound they got, they boosted it, but it's just not enough because it doesn't blend seamlessly. I mean, I don't know why they couldn't have just redubbed it. I mean, were they that tight on a budget, or could they not get the actors back? I mean, you couldn't get them into an into a sound studio somewhere. I mean, most of them are based in either California or New York. You couldn't find a studio for them to go in and record a bit of dialogue. Now you can do that on a phone. Exactly. But I'm sure that they could have figured something out. I don't yeah, know. because clearly they left it like that because it was probably the lesser of any evils. Yeah. But it's it's bad. It is glaringly bad. Yeah. And then you get Gwen calling up through a witch's glass, the toilet, through a toilet, the bird bath, the bur- everything. The, it's not funny. And the fact that it is a running joke is ridiculous. Well, I wanted to ask you about that. How did you feel about some of the running jokes that they did in this film? Like, well, really, the running jokes are really just surrounding Gwen. Like the ringtone, the quote unquote ringtone that is just women screaming. Oh, yeah. Nev- it never, it's never funny. It gets played out quick. Well, I gotta no, change that ringtone. It's so distracting because I keep thinking that something's about to happen, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, it's the phone." But how do you feel about her? What do you think about the shtick with her as the realtor, and she's using magic, literally, to change a house from a two bedroom to a three bedroom, and somehow the people in the house didn't notice that she changed it. The whole thing is ridiculous. I understand what they were trying to do because she keeps trying to check in on them and Marnie keeps brushing her off. But that's also why she sent Dylan as ridiculous as a reason that was for him to be there, even though they address skipping the grade. It still doesn't make sense that she didn't want 
one kid to go, so she sent two. I think it would have been more effective if maybe, I mean, we want to live in the world where Aggie and Sophie are there at arm's length from Marnie and, and somehow training is being completed. Right. But instead, if that's not the world that we're going with and they're off traveling, maybe Gwen comes back to Halloween Town where she was raised. Maybe that's the story and she keeps trying to you know, sort of cramp Marnie style, not intentionally, but maybe she wants to be involved more to keep an eye on her and is maybe, you know, foiling some of Marnie's plans. Right. It's not like she doesn't have a house to go back to. They have the Cromwell home exactly. in Halloween Town. And apparently Gwen just gets homes whenever she needs them, so it doesn't matter. Apparently it really doesn't matter. Um, we mentioned Cody, Dandy, whatever you want to call him. He doesn't matter. Because he's gone, just like Luke. But I think one of the few successes of this movie is the relationship she has with Ethan. Mm -hmm. I actually like her with Ethan more than I like her with Cody. Yeah, I agree with that. I felt that... I think Ethan needed a redemption because he was sort of a victim of circumstance in the third movie. And I think that they do a good job of giving him his redemption here. And I like that they address why he didn't have his powers and he's still going to this school is that after they got his dad, he renounced them. Right. But like so many other things that they do in this movie, you know, you start laying the groundwork for something and it doesn't pay off. Chip, 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 chip. Oh, my Tommy, God. why so? Tommy, you... Sarah Paxton, she channels her inner Tommy Wiseau. Awful. When Ethan does not want to go flying on the broom. The broom that he supplied to go on a date with her, and he doesn't want to get on it. This, none, of this, none of this makes sense. No, and it's like, that's your idea of flirting, Marnie? Really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, okay. We've talked about Sarah Paxton as Marnie a few times here. And this is where we're getting to a point in the movie as we're kind of like mentally going down the list and mentally going down the script where the character really does start to take flight a little bit because we're getting to the point huh. now. Uh, we're getting to the point now where she's about to time travel again. And I have to say, while I think Kimberly J. Brown is by far the superior Marnie, I got to be honest with you. I don't think Sarah Paxton did a bad job with the character. I think she was... I, I, I think she did what they wanted her to do. I think this character was written specifically for a certain kind of actress. And the more that I think about this, I'm thinking this is why they didn't bring Kimberly J. Brown back. But I think given the nature of this Marnie, because she is so different from the Marnies that we have seen in the past, I think Sarah Paxton did as good a job with something as someone can do when you're taking the reins from somebody who has already established this character over three films and Marnie Piper 
is a beloved character. There's no doubt about that. There is a passionate fan base that'll argue this. I wonder if they recast her specifically because of this scene, because I'm not sure that Kimberly J. Brown could have pulled off the Splendora character. I just don't think that she looks, she would have looked the part because she does have that very unique cutesy look about her. And I feel like Sarah Paxton is better in that regard of playing someone from the 1700s. Um, but that aside, what really distracts me about all the changes is is not the actress, but what it did for the character. I feel like even though Marnie is in college, I feel like she lost a lot of her silliness and her zaniness and a lot of the fun that makes the character so entertaining. And to me, this is like Rory Gilmore 2.0. And I loved Rory in high school, but I hated her when she went to college and started drinking from the Emily Gilmore juice. So to me, this is just like a carbon copy of that. And I feel I I think that's actually what they were going for was a little bit more of like a serious, studious Marnie. Um, Do you think that that makes the film feel dated? Do you think that they were trying to come up off of Gilmore Girls? I mean, it was, it's like you said, with the Mean Girls thing, that was very popular at the time. And I think if they were trying to placate the growing audience, it would have been in that age range. And um, Sarah Paxton, at least to me, sort of looks like, um, what's the actress? Alexis Waddell. They, they, they kind of look similar. No, and they, they lost... Marnie's bangs so even the haircut looks just like Alexis Bledel I I think they did that on and the wardrobe too I think they did that purposely um yeah so now Marnie time travels to go get answers she's time traveled before she has the ability to do it I don't know why she needed Periwinkle's help to accomplish this because she can do it on her own but she gets help from Periwinkle. She goes back. I think this the, the medieval scene, I think, is one of the in, in terms of aesthetic, is part is is one of the strongest scenes in the film. I love the set. I think the makeup in that scene in particular, because there's a lot less humans. It's more of those Halloween town creatures that you're more accustomed to seeing. Mm-hmm. I think the makeup is very strong. I think the costumes are strong. And I think that a lot of it gets undone. And I alluded to this before. When you find out that Aggie is Splendora and is the queen of Halloween Town, this entire thing falls flat on its face. Yeah, I agree with you. There's a good setup. I like that they went medieval as as opposed to going to like Salem back in time. Yeah. Um and I like that they did address like you said there's more Halloween Town characters than actual people because that was the whole thing was that they decided to live in secrecy to keep the peace. So you should see more of these characters and that's actually a detail that they were paying attention to. But yeah, for no matter how much they build it up, the fact that Aggie is Splendor, and we know that she's old, and and not 
not just old as in a grandmother, old as in, you know, they've referenced her knowing William Shakespeare before, so we know she's been around. Yeah, and King Arthur and all that. I kind of wish that Splendora was maybe her sister. And that's where the family secret got buried because they almost they alluded to to Periwinkle being her sister and then they squashed that. Um, so I feel like it would have been more effective if this was a character that we were meeting for the first time, especially because they allude to Aggie and Sophie traveling through dimensions in the beginning. To me, if you're going to go back in time why didn't they meet Aggie and Sophie here? You could have brought them back in. You could have brought that whole, not even storyline, that one-off line, you could have brought it full circle. And then especially because they go so far as to talk about the power of three being able to control the amulet, you would have had Sophie, Aggie, and Marnie all in the same place at the same time, and then there's your power of three. Yeah, I like the idea of this amulet. My biggest problem, and it goes back to having an entire wing and an entire dungeon in the university in the Cromwell name, how is it possible that this is the first time we have heard that Aggie is the queen of Halloween Town? Right. Queens, like- queens are not... Queens don't serve a term and they're done. They're done when they're dead. They are done when they're dead. And not only that, but we see Splendora's room is up in the tower, which is now Marnie's dorm room. Like, none of that ever came up. The, yes. that the Because the school mm, just popped up. Yeah. Well, well, no, the school didn't just pop up. It's the old Cromwell Palace. That's what I'm saying. That never came up. It never, and they, they, how have they never heard any of this? And, and more to the point, Aggie is not dead. Right. So if Aggie is not dead, Aggie is the queen. Except nobody seems to be recognizing her, and she's answering to a mayor in the first movie. Do you see where things they did in this movie start to inadvertently unravel? Something that was not a problem in the first film. I've been saying that for three movies now. <laughs> no, it is the worst here. Oh, yeah. How, how is this the first time? How, how has nobody recognized Aggie as the queen, referenced her as the queen, referenced she the Cromwells as refer- royalty? She makes no reference of renouncing her powers either. None at all. None at all. This is this is the biggest fail of this movie, by far, because it not only undoes this movie, it undoes an entire series right. for no reason, for no reason whatsoever. I don't know what the ultimate end game here was for them, but it's a complete fail. And the other question that it now leaves us asking is. Now that the prophecy has been fulfilled and a Cromwell is back, even though she destroyed the amulet except not, is Marnie now the queen of Halloween Town? They had a coronation. She was the queen. She was working under the direction of the Dominion, even though she really wasn't. So 
I mean, technically speaking, Marnie's the queen of Halloween Town now, isn't she? I guess. I mean, I almost feel like they were trying to set up another sequel here and then just never did because you could go with that, although it really doesn't matter because apparently when you plant one storyline anywhere in this franchise, they're not going to pick it up anyway. But since she left the amulet with Dylan, it does seem like they were setting up another film. You would think so, and they didn't. And honestly, that's okay with me. Yes. Why don't you have your say? Because, see, you already spoiled... I mean, not that I haven't at this point, too. But you already... You've spoiled your review of this movie, and you do not have the affinity for this series the way that I do. So I'm going to let you go first. What I want our listeners to know is that I have tried very, very hard to look at these films objectively and to just appreciate them for what they are as a fun Halloween film with some good sets and magic and just leave it at that and appreciate it for what it is. However, the plot holes, the storylines that go nowhere, the storylines that become undone, there are just too many errors where I cannot look the other way. What I will say about the franchise overall in its favor is that with each succeeding film, I have appreciated the one before it slightly more. And Debbie Reynolds is a treasure. So for somebody who has a lot more fun with these films than you do. For somebody that talked about how much they love this franchise, because I have, this to me is... We we talked last week about sequels that do egregious things to franchises. Phantom Menace. Well, yes, but but that's not what we talked about last week. I'm just using an example. Specific to DCOMs, it was always the second film. Yes. Okay? Yes. To me, this is neck and neck with Teen Beach 2 as the most egregious. Here's the thing. Teen Beach 2, to me, still beats this one out because, and I said it last week, you can make the argument that it's almost not fair because this was three, now four films in a series, whereas Teen Beach was only two. Teen but Beach 2 also at least had a beginning, middle, and end it had a in begin- a cohesive story, despite it, yes. the last scene. It did. Um, but it took a flawless film and completely erased it. This series, I think I think the first movie is one of my favorite Halloween movies ever. Um, the other two films are not without their flaws. So that is the only reason why Teen Beach 2 is a worse movie than Return to Halloween Town. 
I think Return to Halloween Town for me, for all of the bad it does for the franchise, and I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, is worse than High School Musical 2. Wow. High School Musical 2, until we sat and watched Teen Beach 2, was as bad a movie as you could make. And I think I said at the time, this is why DCOMs get a bad reputation for their hokiness, their cheesiness, and for things that don't make sense. But this, un- other than just being a lousy movie, it doesn't undo as much in its franchise than this one does. I think this is one of the worst sequels in any film franchise. And it's right up there as one of the worst for Disney. Well, welcome to my Halloween Town party. I don't want to come to your Halloween Town party. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm glad I'm not what? standing out on this limb by myself oh, anymore. You are. You are. Because there are a handful of movies that once we review them, I have no need to ever watch again. Teen Beach 2 is one. Toy Story 4 will be the other. And this one. There is no Toy Story 4. There is no Return to Halloween Town. And most of the people who you will talk to who love this franchise will say the same thing. I mean, I am so passionate about something. I th- Remember something. Halloween Town, the first movie, was a movie I saw one time in 1998. And revisited last year. The rest of these movies, I didn't watch for the first time until three weeks ago. And I'm carrying them as if I have spent a lifetime with them. (laughs) That is how much this movie lets me down. Let me ask you something, though. Because I find errors with this movie unto itself but if you separated this from the franchise and made this its own thing just about a witch who goes to college who has powers they're digging up her family's history if you separated it from the other three if they had just rolled with the new marnie and and you know taken the cast and just done a completely separate film do you think you would hate it as much Probably not, because it wouldn't have eight years of source material right. that w- that it would have undone. Right, because that's, as you were saying, that's your biggest issue with it, is that it unraveled the rest of it. I can say with certainty, I would still feel the same way, but I can see where you're salty about it as someone who does enjoy the franchise and where this is probably the biggest disappointment. Yeah. It for sure is is uh, of the four of them. I don't think I need to repeat myself again. And, and honestly, I was excited to watch this movie. I knew that there was controversy because they recast the lead. But I thought, you know what? 
let that be the worst thing about it. Maybe this is just a great movie that gets overlooked because people can't get over the controversy of recasting the lead. No, it's just such a lousy movie. And it's you ask most fans of this franchise and they will tell you the same thing. But we are interested in knowing what you have to say about Return to Halloween Town. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. Hey, everyone. This is Brian down here in South Florida. I'm about two hours south of Disney, and when it comes to planning vacations, Jackie's the way to go. I have a quick story for you. When it came to booking my family vacation for my two-year-old daughter and my wife, you know, like everybody, I immediately went to the Internet, started scouting prices, compiling lists, and uh, building my perfect vacation at Disney. Just out of curiosity, I reached out to Jackie. She mentioned she was uh, booking vacations for many people. So I gave her my uh, list, my itinerary. She looked it over, and when she came back to me, she gave me her recommendations in regards to the parks. However, she also had new pricing associated with it. Um, I've learned that going on my own doesn't necessarily mean that I'll be getting the best pricing. Jackie was able to beat the majority of the pricing within my list and saving me a ton of money, but she has the insight and the connections to do so. On top of that, it was stress-free, so all my vacations in the future are gonna be through her because I don't have to think about it. She plans it, I give her some information in regards to what I wanna do, what my plans are for that week when I go visit Disney, and she'll make it happen and create the itinerary for me. She's a market expert. Myself, I go into a park, I immediately hop on the next line, I get a few fast passes, and at the end of the day, I don't accomplish everything like I would want to. She advised on which rides to attack first, which restaurants I should schedule on what day, and how to properly allocate my time to maximize my vacation. It was an amazing process. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Way to go, Monoreal. Keep it going. Now is the time to start planning your trip for Disney 50, so get in touch with me at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. News of this week actually talking about Disney 50. They released a new vanity plate if you are a Florida resident. You, you know, because you can always get vanity plates in the state that you live in. But down there, they, they have a commemorative one for Disney 50. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I'm sure that one is going to be a very big seller. I really like the logo, by the way. So do I. I loved it when they unveiled it at that D23 Expo. It's sleek. It's really, really cool. Uh, the other bit of news this week uh, is Disney Plus related um, content warning labels have been added to a number of titles on the service, Peter Pan, Dumbo, Fantasia, Lady and the Tramp, um, basically saying, uh, you know, the program will, uh, will, will represent things that are no longer culturally appropriate. And I'm very much paraphrasing this because, it, listen, if you want to go read it, it's on screen for 10 seconds. It does last for quite a while before you get to... Uh, the film that you are about to watch, but Disney doesn't mince words with their message there. Um, and I think given the state of things right now, given especially with the way things have gone this year, I really think this was just a matter of time until something like this was added to Disney+. Plus. No, and I think it's fair to give people a trigger warning. I mean, they have, and I, I love reading them in the top left when it says contains tobacco depictions or um, 
even in like the Frank and Ollie, it gives you a head a heads up because there's a sketch of a nude, and it it says it does. It, there's no nudity, but there's a sketch of a nude person or yeah. something like that. Like some of them, the way that they're worded, are just kind of funny. But this, I, I think Disney had to do something to address the current climate. Correct, and that's how they chose to do it. And um, yeah, it would appear that these uh, warning labels will be up there permanently. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us monorealradio at gmail.com and check out monorealradio.com where you have links to all the social media as well as every episode of the show. You can also rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. We look forward to seeing some of you coming up this upcoming Sunday at Disney Springs at Dockside Margaritas for a little social distancing cocktail hour between 3 and 5 p.m. It's going to be a very, very good time. We're looking forward to seeing some of you guys as you come out. And who knows, there may be a giveaway or two. Going to have to show up to find out. Thank you guys so much again. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.